6.30 a.m. in New York, 12.30 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 5.30 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Shenander Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. So I came across a saying that marriage is like eating with chopsticks. It looks easy until you try it. I'm not sure who said that, but I get it. It's hard enough to have a loving relationship with yourself and then smash yourself into life with another person. And now we've got to get creative. And that is why I am so delighted to have my guest today here to help us kick off a two-part series on connection. So a heartfelt welcome to Vivian Juana, the founder of Expat Nest. Vivian, welcome to Expat Happy Hour. Hello, Sanjay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. So I'm going to brag a little bit about you, Vivian. She is, she's really amazing. So not only has she created a platform called Expat Nest, which promotes the emotional well-being of expats by offering online counseling in, let me tell you this, English, Greek, Spanish, Italian, Arabic, and Chinese. I'm just waiting for the next language to come out. (laughs) Um, Vivian is a psychologist. She has a master's degree in both child and adolescent psychology and health psychology. She is a multilingual, bicultural, and in her own expat with her family all over the world. So she gets it, right? Um, Vivian Mm -hmm. says she feels herself at home in the international community and is inspired by diversity. I happened to meet Vivian at the Families and Global Transition uh, Conference, I think in 2018. Is that right, Vivian? Yes, I think this is when we met for the first time in person. Exactly. And then we got to see each other again in 2019. And since then, she has gone on to be awarded as one of the 100 most inspirational women in the world for 2020. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Sunday, for this wonderful introduction. Tell us a little bit more about you. How did you come to do what you do now, Vivian? Right. Okay. First of all, whatever I do, I do it with so much love. And I think what I have done with Expatness, it reflects exactly that because it's a business with heart. Um, as, I, as you said, I'm an expat myself. I'm a bicultural. I was born and raised in Greece uh, by a Greek father and an Assyrian mother. Uh, Assyrians are a minority in the Middle East with no country. And then my, my family was spread out like in the United States, Australia. So I have grew up knowing that families can be spread out all over the gro- globe and still feel that love and the sense of being part of, that, of this family and that love has no borders. And so when I moved to the Netherlands, um, I was working there for many years and then I realized that there was a need for expert specialized services. And for me back then, the easiest would be, you know, to just start my practice there in The Hague or Leiden where I lived and then just, you know, help the people in the local community. But then I wanted to do something that would help expats no matter where they are in the world. I wanted to do something that had no borders, exactly as with my family, that our love had no borders. Mm. So I was one day at the beach and I was swimming and then the idea came. I think actually the best ideas come when we are connected to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And 
I remember I said, okay, I'm going to do it. Back in 2013, though, everybody thought I was a bit crazy because they were telling me, Vivian, why do you want to start something with no, like, exclusively online, exclusively for expats in all these languages? And I was saying, I think there is a need. And, you know, seven years later, when this recognition came early in 2020, actually didn't, I didn't believe it, you know, right. because it was so many years later. And at the beginning, it was hard because I had to raise awareness about uh, expert challenges and why there is a need for, for specialized psychological services. So, um, yeah, I very much enjoyed it. But above all, it was because it, it serves the purpose and my mission in this life to help expats no matter where they are. So in that, in that aspect, I'm a very happy person. You're giving me chills because um, that is absolutely my core mission. And ironically, 2013 is when I started my own business as well, serving expats and also all online. So I didn't know that we had that in common. Um, yes, that's wonderful. No, I didn't know either. <laughs> I love it. So we're going to dive in today. There's so much you could speak on because your level of professional competency is not only deep, it's also um, broad. But today I want to focus on relationships and transition. So I'll just give you a little bit of background. A lot of my clients are, um, have been, they're experienced expats. They've been abroad for a long time. They might be in binational relationships or, um, living the globally mobile life for years. They've, they've done this, right? And mm -hmm. then something happens and it's, and it's unclear, you know, am I not happy in this country? Am I having a midlife crisis? Mm -hmm. Is our marriage dissolving? Like there's, everything gets put into question because something happens and one or more person in this partnership is no longer okay with, the way things were. So I mm -hmm. have invited you today to, for us to sort of untangle this idea of relationships and transition, because it's even more complex when we're looking at relationships in globally mobile transitions. Indeed, indeed. Because major life transitions as, you know, the relocation, new job, uh, are great life stressors. For most people, this may happen, you know, a few times in their lives, but for experts, can happen every few years or even more often. Right. And experts face normal changes of the uh, challenges of a committed relationships, as well as the challenges unique to the nomadic lifestyle. Right. Uh, I think here is important though to, to mention that sometimes expert couples think that their marital problems or long-term relationship problems uh, for those who are not married have to do the, with their relation, uh, with their location, but sometimes their marital problems are usually within the relationship itself, but marital trouble is harder to tackle overseas. Um, you know, it's about, it's, sometimes it's the chicken or the egg. That's why I always try, if you want, we can try to explore both and then see what makes more sense. Yep. Uh, because you can have a midlife crisis, you can have a marriage crisis, and you can have both at the same time. Right, that's nice. <laughs> Right. And that's why it's quite complicated. So I think let's try to keep it simple. <laughs> but let's, it's true, though. It it's happen. true. I yeah, see it all the time. Okay, right. I'm going to do that back. I want to tangle that out. So there, I have a couple questions. Um, right. What do people blame on expat life 
but it's really about marriage. And what do people blame on marriage, but it is really about expat life. And I don't know if you can give me definitive answers, but let's see what we come up with. Right. Yes. I'll try as, okay, I'll start with the part of the midlife crisis uh, because first of all, just to mention that change is good when we know what we're changing to. And actually it's healthy and necessary to change. And I think in a relationship, we have to embrace, the, to embrace this change. Uh, I would be more worried, for example, if I was in a relationship and my partner never changed because the only constant in life is change. However, some small changes can become small annoyances. And this is actually the moment to tackle them before they turn into big obstacles. Uh, but when there are big changes in our, in our lives, then it can represent a direct contradiction to your own thoughts or your values, and this is much more difficult to swallow. Uh, I'll, I'll focus, uh, first of all, to the midlife crisis, which is something that will happen most likely to all of us, uh, which is an, an emotionally uncomfortable period, you know, between the ages of 35 to 55. And it's time to question our priorities in life and to adjust to a lifestyle that better fits our emotional needs. And that's good and that's healthy and that's necessary. For others though, this is the moment that they have a true crisis and they, try, and they then seek affection and attention outside of their, of their relationship. And this is where the problems start. Uh, the midlife crisis in a way is a natural, a natural reaction to aging. And sometimes it's triggered by physiological changes. As a health psychologist, I always ask my clients also to check, you know, their hormone levels, any hormonal drops, because that's part, you know, of the midlife crisis. We cannot, you know, talk only about the psychological factors if we don't explore the physiological factors as well. I think that's so true. I mean, I know this is what we just talked about on our last episode, the menopausal expat, how mm -hmm. if things are going on hormonally, that's making a huge impact on how you feel, your well-being, and how you're experiencing your own mental health. It, it's it really important to have that biochemical analysis um, mm -hmm. because as I say, as a coach, I say this to my clients all the time, I can't coach biology, right? Like I can't, yes, exactly. I can't work against biology, but wait a minute, you've got so many great nuggets here. I just want to slow down a little bit. Let me just interrupt you for a second. This idea about the midlife crisis, you talked about mm -hmm. 35 to 55. This is where we are looking to feed our new developing needs, maybe our emotional needs, and it can get to a true crisis when we're looking for that affection and attention outside of the relationship. And what is so mm -hmm. interesting that you said is that this is a natural reaction to aging. And mm -hmm. honestly, and I'm going to be really honest here, I think that we still think about the midlife crisis as a male thing who is going after the secretary or a red convertible, right? There's not mm -hmm. a lot of space to see what that midlife crisis, I'm saying quotes, right? I call it midlife transition, what mm -hmm. that looks like in a much broader scope. And you're telling me it's natural. So why aren't we talking about it more and why is there so much shame around it? Yes, there is a lot of there is a lot of shame around it because I think also with the social media that we have to present, you know, the perfect idea or about aging per se that you know people try all the time to look younger and younger and you know I think it's a, it represents also the um, the cultural norms 
right now in many in many societies that are changing about aging uh, or it's not easy to talk about this these uh, issues even to your partner let alone other people in in your life uh, because sometimes in order to communicate what is changing and we have to be fully aware and that's that's a process on its own sometimes we're changing but we don't know what exactly we're changing to so mm-hmm. it's very hard to communicate it and that's why it's very difficult in a relationship when your partner doesn't communicate with you what is happening to guess and assume and then to take it as a personal rejection when it's not. They're having the personal crisis. But By the you, way, what if you don't even know? You're saying and it's that for both to, and it's but, for both male and female, though. But you're saying we, we don't know what we're changing to. And at the same time, we should talk to our partner. But what if we don't know what we're changing to? Then talking to your partner will just freak him out. Exactly. And that's why sometimes you have to look out for some signs. For example, the need, if you feel bored all the time and there is a need for adventure and change, uh, or of course, the midlife crisis has also some other signs like depression or questioning long held beliefs, anger and blame, or when you're unable to make decisions about the future. And this can be manifested in two ways, like a paralysis or flip-flopping on important decisions. Then there are signs that something is not right. Even if your partner doesn't talk to you about it, doesn't mean they're not there. So actually when let's say your partner feels bored and starts looking for a new hobby or buy the new, this new car, I think that it's important for you as a partner to participate in the, these new activities because it's like showing support to that changes until you find the right moment to start having these more vulnerable discussions because having these discussions about the fear of aging or the fear of what is changing to our bodies um, are not easy and they, they, they require us to show our vulnerability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So sometimes it's not what the people say, but also what they do right. before they have the conversations. So I just had this huge aha moment um, mm-hmm. about the difference between being emotional with your partner and being vulnerable with your partner. Mm. And I think for me, the old paradigm was if I, uh, if I, if I can cry or be angry or express discontent, that was being vulnerable. But actually I think that is showing emotion and that's different from being vulnerable. Being vulnerable is being bare and saying, this is where I am in my process. Mm -hmm. This is Mm -hmm. how I'm seeing things differently. And that, um, that is a different level of exposure because if your partner isn't on board with that or is not happy with those changes, then it can feel disruptive to the entire relationship. Exactly. And and that's the important point because the midlife feelings do not last forever, but the damage to the personal relationship can. Mm -hmm. And this is what we need to be so careful about. And that's why in your initial question, is it, you know, about the midlife crisis or the expert challenges, what is easier to tackle? Okay, because I'm an expert specialized psychologist, I would say the expert challenges involved Mm -hmm. because the midlife crisis is expected for everyone to go through this at some point, knowing that it will end. It's not going to last forever. So that's already good news, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. great news. So the good news is, this is a process. It's not going to last forever. What I'm hearing from you is to handle that process with care because 
the implications of what happens during that process might have a long lasting impact. Right. And in any relationship, I mean, uh, for those who want to keep the relationship, it's, you know, you can be apart, whether emotionally or geographically for a period of time and come closer again. As I say to my clients, it's like an accordion. So it took me actually a decade to emotionally grasp this, although uh, logically I could understand it, that, you know, sometimes you can be apart emotionally with your partner and then come closer again. However, what I see in my clients and me sometimes is like, it can really feel as a personal rejection when your partner that you have built all these things together, it can be a little bit more distance because of their own personal issues. And this is the moment actually to try to revert that and see it as an opportunity to grow together and adapt. Because if, there is no, if this is not used as, a prior, as an opportunity for growth, it can be detrimental to a relationship in the long term, especially if one of the two starts doubting whether they can be together because part of the middle life crisis is when you doubt your choices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you start doubting your choice about being married to this person then, or being in a long-term relationship with someone, this is where the problem starts. Mm -hmm. And that's why for the person who's actually, for the partner who's, um, uh, who, uh, who is facing these challenges, it's important to remind them why they got married to you in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because sometimes you forget in the routine. And then we will talk further about the expat life per se. But in the midst of the relocation and everything changing in your life, you, there's so much noise around you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. That cracks me up. <laughs> I was just trying, I was just imagining everybody trying to like, you know, remind their partner how amazing they are. <laughs> right, right. And to bring um, a little bit more sparkle after right. all these years. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, because one of the, and I need to mention that because one of the things, as we said before, with the physiological changes, it really brings a lot, it can bring a lack of intimacy in sex as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's important, you know, to rediscover together, okay, what we can do to make things better between us, like what is really connects us as a couple. Mm -hmm. And if you want, we can move more to the expert part of it because I think it's important, as we said, you know, it's like the chicken or the egg. It's important in a way to, to talk about both because as I always say to my clients, a relationship lives in an emotional ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's like a plant. So when you move from one country to another, then you don't have your family support or your friends around. You have to start everything from, from scratch. And we don't know what to expect of a new working environment or of a new home, uh, how our new home will be like, how we can start making friends, if our kids will go to a new school, how things will be there, etc. So you may have a loving partner and a good record together, but their location can put a lot of pressure on any relationship, regardless how strong the foundation is. Um, and it's important then to create a new routine and to find new activities together as a couple and as a family to do together as you used to do in the, in your home country or your host country. Mm -hmm. Which can be hard if you're busy and working late nights or, you know, shuffling the kids off, you know, to sporting events back and forth. It can feel hard as a couple mm -hmm. to make time for each other. Definitely, definitely. And that's why, for example, sometimes we encourage them to, you know, have date nights or to start uh, having friends. Uh, for example, with expat partners, 
I always say to my clients that they need to, they have to remember that the partner cannot be their mom, their dad, their therapist and everything in one person. They have to try to create a social circle. They have to try to have other things to balance, you know, because, you know, it's beautiful when the partner becomes your, the center of your universe. But on the other hand, that puts a lot, a lot of responsibility on the other person that sometimes cannot take it because they have to also adjust to their new uh, work environment. They have, you know, to, they have their own fears about their parents, maybe a continent apart and they're aging and many other parameters. Yeah, so it's right. important to try to keep that balance. So what I'm taking away is advice for couples who are living expat life is to be really mindful about the ecosystem that they create for their partnership with every move. And mm -hmm. even when life pressures get high, that it's important to sort of water that ecosystem, so to speak. Um, otherwise something will suffer. Yes, yes. And to remember also that they are, they are on the same team. Mm -hmm. And especially for the expat partners who move because, I call them love pets actually, because they follow, let's say, their, their partner because of their work assignment. Yeah. One of the things we work a lot in therapy is to let go of the victim mode and to see that this was a choice that they've made for their personal lives and for their families. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's a lot of resentment uh, there's like a hidden competition between the partners, you know, about like who speaks the language best or that I'm, I'm, a, I'm struggling to adjust, but you have your work that, you know, had an induction program for you and you can make friends with your work or your language discourses. And I'm here at home doing nothing. And, you know, when you don't know where you belong in the current scene or you have lost the status that you have in your previous country. So this can cause a lot of, of pressure in a couple and that hidden competition can be very damaging in the long term. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. And also there is, a different, and there is a different experience, the truth is, because let's say if one is working and the other one is not, they don't have, let's say, the same opportunities for socializing. They have different, but this, can, this different point of view can, can widen the gap in the communication and the understanding of each other's experience in the new country. So what do you think, I mean, you have the benefit of watching patterns in couples and mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but sometimes I have this when with my work, I help people who are looking to make the most of their life abroad or they're looking for more pur purpose and meaning. And you can watch someone go down a path and you see their path and you're just excited because you know they're going to get there. And then there's other people who are walking a different path and you're kind of cringing because you know that it's not going to end well, right? And I'm not talking about my clients. I'm talking about in general, uh, mm -hmm. when I'm watching the, what they're doing. And mm -hmm. so I'm wondering <clears throat> when you look at people who are coming to you and the relationship is put into question, whether it's fair or unfair, what are mm -hmm. some of the things that kind of make you cringe? Cause you know, it's preventable, you know, if they made a few small shifts, it would make a big difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good, actually, that's a good question because as I said before, I think the expert challenges in, in, in my view are more preventable, especially if there is a lot, if there is good work done before their couple, the family relocates or the couple, Mm -hmm. uh, so I would encourage 
if there is a couple that is about to move, perhaps that's the right time to ask for some support preventively. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, if your relationship is hanging by a thread, I'm not sure if relocating at that moment is the right decision to make. Yeah, right. Because, because another country won't magically solve all your pro- right. problems. Right. Um, so I'm hearing course, if you're if you're already you know if your relationship is hanging by a thread already, then preventable would be don't make it worse by going into another loca- uh, relocation. If if there is a choice for that, because sometimes we know the reality, there's no choice and people have to move. But if there is right. a choice, perhaps it's better to wait until you focus on what the real problem is. As we said at the very beginning, many expat couples, they put all the blame to the expat experience, but sometimes the problems are usually within the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I walk my talk here, for example, I had a long-term relationship and I broke up with him some years ago. And I was thinking for many, many months after the breakup that the reason was because he wanted to return to Greece and I wanted to stay in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. But deep down and after a lot of reflection, that was not the problem. That was the trigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a deeper problem. So uh, sometimes that's the thing. We have to look ourselves in the mirror and, and see. Yeah. A- example of question that it's hard in therapy. That, For example, I ask my, like my, my female clients, like, when did you have no sex with their partners for, for years? Like, mm-hmm. Do you really want him in your, in your body, into your body? And when the answer is no, there's a big problem in this relationship. So either they go to couples counseling or in the long term, maybe they can coexist in the same house or they can do co-parenting, but the relationship per se has a big problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, however, I understand when sometimes when you are in a relationship as such that it's not easy to look yourself in the mirror because you have to take care of your children. You're in a different country. Maybe you don't have the same financial freedom or, you know, it's, it's very hard when you are in a situation like this and far away at the same time. It's yeah. Right. Like there's no easy answers. So- right. And that's why in war, in our work, first of all, we offer a safe place for people to talk and process. And then we try to find solutions because mm-hmm. the solutions are very different to each couple. Right. So what are the things that you think are, um, we talked about some of the things that are preventable. So you talked about, you know, the dealing with the expat challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which already are, can be large challenges, um, but mm-hmm. dealing with them, being proactive in, um, in navigating that, getting out of victim mode, taking ownership of your choices. Those are some things that you can um, where people can empower themselves. What are the things that you've seen that are harder um, to get around that are truly challenging for the relationship and are important to pay attention to? Yeah, first of all, I need to mention that for each individual and in each couple, there are different deal breakers. But usually in my experience, what I see as more difficult than to find a solution is when there is abuse, where there is lack of sex for many years, when there is uh, infidelity involved um, and things like that. Uh, this is where sometimes it's harder to save a relationship. However, I always ask, like, I have noticed the following answer to this question is very important. When I ask them, do you have faith in your relationship? 
And when they answer, like there are people in counseling that say, Vivian, I have no idea how we're going to move past this conflict, internal conflict, but yes, I have faith in a relationship. I believe in us and I know we can make it happen. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have seen that these people w- sooner or later find a solution. Those who come to counseling from the beginning having no faith in the relationship, sometimes they have already taken a decision before they start counseling. Mm-hmm. But they just need to get stronger in order to leave a relationship. I'm not saying that that's the only question to decide if you're going to stay in or it's, it's far more complicated than that. But right. it's important to, to trust and to see if you have the same vision for your relationship and if you still have faith in you that you can make it work no matter what but when you start doubting if the other person is the right partner for you which is normal to some extent but if this is the main question for months and months or years and years i have noticed that some these these things start getting complicated because they're not focusing on a particular problem but then it has been generalized if this is the right partner for them So that, that's kind of like setting someone up to fail, isn't it? Because you can't would, work out um, a specific problem. No, I wouldn't necessarily so because it's, a, it's a, like how we de- what we define as a success or failure. So I wouldn't necessarily use that word because I think if a person sees, sees it as a failure, they, they don't have the strength to fight anymore mm-hmm. if they think they're setting themselves for a failure. Uh, and people want to save their relationships in most of the cases. And their personal lives matter. So uh, we try to clarify to which direction they want us to work together. And then we focus all on our, on our, our energy on this. And of course, sometimes individual counseling is not enough. And people may need couples counseling. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So what happens when... Um one person, like we talked about, we go back to the midlife crisis, right? So one person is going through an immense growth phase and the other person is, is very stable in their focus and clarity and how they're living their lives. It mm-hmm. seems like one side is disrupted um, mm-hmm. and the other side is on a track. So it actually could throw off the other person who was like, actually everything was rolling along fine here. Yes, right? So yes. how, how do you work with people who are in that situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, as I said before, we try to offer them the safe place to explore the thoughts and the feelings and to share the thoughts around these changes that they're going through. Because as I said before, sometimes they don't have the words to communicate what exactly is happening internally. And then when you realize that your needs, your wants, your desires, your dreams, and life direction have changed so much, it's important for the other partner who is more stable to acknowledge them mm-hmm. and to allow the time and the space and the freedom to, to their partner to talk to them. Sometimes also when talking is, is not helpful, I always encourage them, you know, this more loving, less talking approach. You can still be there and trying to show them their love in other ways rather than just talking about it. Sometimes talking all day about your problems won't necessarily make them better. Mm -hmm. So more loving, less talking can be the answer, but to start with, but it's important also to allow them the time and the space to, to, to understand what exactly is going on and to what direction they want to change to. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on because I think there are so many taboos that we have also around aging, right? If you think about our trajectory, it's like go to school, graduate, get a job, have a family, 
you know, raise your kids. It's just like, just this doing and doing and doing and doing. And then at some point in our lives, we start looking at the undoing. <laughs> right. We, we look at, at the slowing down, not speeding up. And there's, there seems to be so much shame around um, those changes. And I love that we're able to give some space to that today because I, I believe, you know, this is what the thing I always tell my friends, like mm-hmm. when we were 20, it was like all the 40 year olds were hiding a huge secret from us. And now I feel robbed. <laughs> you know, it's yes. like, where were all mm. these people telling us, you know, what life was like? That's why you always see these memes on Facebook about adulting and how hard adulting is. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, but when you create normalcy around it and you can have conversations about it and you can say, hey, this is what's going um, on with me. And it's a construct somebody already has, it doesn't feel as scary. No, and that's important. That's why it's important to talk to the people you trust about it because most likely they have the same fears or insecurities. But that's why I say very early in our, in our interview that I think it's also affected by the whole pace in our lives. Yeah. Now, okay, now with the lockdown slowed down, I think it helped. But before that, uh, we were, I think, we're living in lives of, you know, fast food, fast fashion, fast everything. And it doesn't help, you know, when we say, okay, I just want some time and space for me to reflect on what's going on and to find the purpose. And by the way, Sunday, that's why I love so much your work about purpose, because I think it's important to find our purpose in life in, in, in different ages, because the meaning of it indeed changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, for example, I ask my clients sometimes to work on a vision board or a passion board and to, to create a life that they look forward to and they just enjoy living. Because when you're having a middle life crisis, most likely you're projecting negatively, negatively into the future. Right, right. So and that's I, important to change. And mm-hmm. what I notice with my clients is that when they're unhappy with themselves and they're hungry for purpose, what they end up doing is they project that on their partner and mm. they're looking for their partner to create happiness and purpose. And it, it's, it's, it is almost to the point where they want to disengage from the relationship and when mm-hmm. we've worked together to, on them, not on the partnership, on them, they have automatically showed up differently in their relationships would actually created closeness that they were looking for in the beginning. Exactly. And that's why it's so important to, to ask themselves if they are changing and they're seeing the partner differently or if the partner has changed. Because in most of the cases, we're also seeing our partners differently. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important also to ask themselves, like, okay, if I was living, if I were to leave this relationship, will it solve all my problems? <laughs> is this the source of my happiness? Or in some cases it is, but in some other cases, as you said, like as you said before, it's our personal uh, challenges that are projected to our partner, which is normal because we're twenty four seven together, we live together, and they are these are the people that they're going to be around. However, is it fair? On them, right. I'm not sure. And that's why it's important to clarify. Yep. But in, in many cases, though, Sunday, their relationship is the source of the anxiety and the stress when you are in a wrong relationship for you. Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's why I was looking at this whole idea and there, this idea of a marriage midlife crisis where people mm. are looking at how they're changing and the next, whatever, 20, 30 years that they're looking ahead and saying, is this the way I want to still do it? And you've given us some really great strategies to start thinking about 
what we can do so it doesn't become a true crisis. So I just want to recap for a second. And Vivian, you tell me if I've missed anything. Some mm-hmm. of the things that you're saying that we can do is one kind of, um, you know, compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges where we have to get clear on are the challenges we're feeling related to expat life or are they related truly to the relationship? Mm-hmm. That's one thing I'm taking away. The other thing that we just talked about is, um, are you going through a very natural transition? Like they, people call it a midlife crisis. I call it a midlife transition, right? And mm-hmm. are you giving yourself the space to just take that in and reflect and use it, as you said, as an opportunity to grow? And once you've done that together as a partner, if there's um, space to process that together so that you can work on the relationship. Mm-hmm. And yes, and the relationship actually can become much, much stronger after that, especially after a location, because then you realize who matters to you, who are, who are the people around you, and then you realize the importance of your partner who was there in, in, through the difficult transition, etc. And you could lean on him or her, etc. And actually, when you go through this crisis, it can make you much, much stronger as a couple. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think that's the message I want to pass because going through a difficult time does not mean that the relationship is doomed. Mm-hmm. And it's just maybe just a phase of a relationship. And then you can be much better again. But when you don't see it as possible anymore, that's where the problem starts. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just wrote down difficult doesn't equal doom. Mm-hmm. And that this idea of faith, the belief in us is an important thing to hold on to keep yeah. going forward. Have you noticed that also in your clients and Debbie? Because for me, when I ask this question, sometimes it can be a real indicator of where this is going. Mm-hmm. Well, Have you not- I mean, for me, I always say that I, I coach who's in the room. Right. So when, when we're working on challenges, I work on them, not like with their partner, how their partner is contributing or whatever. So um, I think what, honestly, I think the question that I work on with my clients is, do you have faith in you? Do you Mm -hmm. have faith that you can make changes that you can take back your power? Right. And I think that's the role that when I work with my clients, it's about empowering the individual to see mm-hmm. agency in their own life. And then yes. through that, they, they show up more courageously with their partners. And it's really beautiful to watch because it's something mm-hmm. simple, but this is something I see all the time. It's like when they don't even know what they want or what they need. And finally, when they can name it, because it was just anger or frustration before. Right. And then mm-hmm. once they can name it, they can say to their partner, you know, I really feel like I need more connection. Would you be willing to block out Thursday nights for us to have time together? Usually the partner is like super responsive. The the resistance Mm -hmm. is just gone. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really beautiful to see um, what happens when someone starts naming what their needs are and what their wants are and believing that they deserve to have those met. Yes, exactly. And uh, based on this example you just gave, I wanted to add something that there is one, like uh, we work a lot also with my clients on the, uh, like becoming more assertive and express their thoughts and their needs. And I have noticed that the following sentence 
of course, we have to practice the skill and again and again, but the following sentence helps. Like, I feel this way, and then you can name your emotions, focusing only on your emotions, not blaming the other person, because if you start doing that, then the person will go into the defensive mode and the discussion will go anywhere, nowhere. So I feel this way, you express how you feel, because, and you focus only on the facts, and then what I need from you is, it's yep. always important to end that sentence by expressing what exactly you need and what you expect from the other person, because it's very hard for you to, for them to meet your emotional needs when you don't express it, express them. Right, right. Seriously, it's so unfair. <laughs> so unfair. And it's That's, so difficult yeah. at the same time. And the uh, assumption is the mother of all mistakes. And then the other person assumes all different scenarios, which may not be true. Totally. And this is, I mean, this is very similar to the work that I draw on from Marshall Rosenberg about mm-hmm. getting clear on what your emotions are because of what you value. And most of the time it's, you know, when the client says, would you be willing to, and whatever that request is, if they understand what need it's meeting, usually exactly. it's really well received. Um, mm-hmm. So that's so good. Sometimes it's not as scary as we thought. And this is where that shift came in for me about the difference between being emotional and vulnerable that just like crying or, or being upset is emotional, but doesn't mean it's always vulnerable. Vulnerable is saying, Hey, this is what I need. Yes. Um, and would you be willing to meet that need? That is vulnerability, but that is where the power of intimacy then comes in when that need is met. Right. And the right partner for you most likely will try their best to meet these needs. Yeah. Whereas if, if there's someone who is fueling your insecurities, that's also another sign that perhaps something is not right there. Yep. So good. So good. The right partner mm-hmm. will be willing to meet those needs instead of fueling insecurities. I know we could go on and on about this for True. For I, hours, um, yes. And I love talking to you anyway. Oh Sunday, my gosh. And the this purpose, yes. So valuable. I think I really do cherish the, the time that you've given us today because I know this is on the hearts of many people. This is big. This is important. This is worth couples listening to together. It's worth rewinding and listening again. This is about keeping that partnership that was started for, for very good reasons, however long ago, however many countries ago. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome, Sunday. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope it's, uh, this interview was valuable to your audience. And something last, since we talk about love a lot, that I would encourage your audience perhaps to check their love language. There is a quiz. I can send you the link. And there is a love language quiz because sometimes when we talk about emotional needs, we realize it's like talking different languages and yep. people cannot really connect to each other. So we encourage them to do the love language and maybe their partner can also do it and then start from there. So we have something very practical to start with. I love Gary Chapman. He's one of my favorite authors on the five love languages. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we'll include that in the, the podcast notes. But more importantly, where can we find you if they want to know more about you and what you're doing at Expat Nest? They can find us at expatnest.com. And as you said, we offer our services in different languages and we help individuals, teenagers and their parents. And of course we have, uh, we take also selectively couples counseling as well, depending on the language. We don't have couples counselor, uh, counselors in all these languages. We're working on it, but in some languages it's very hard to find um, good couples counseling with experience, but we do have it in English and Greek. And yeah, they can find us on expertness.com. 
Okay. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Bean. Thank you for listening. So much to take away from today's interview. I'm going to leave you with an anonymous quote. The best feeling in the whole world is watching things finally fall into place after watching them fall apart for so long. Um. <laughs>